So the reading is taken from Luke 3, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Herod tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if their heart, in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all, the, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, you are the more powerful one. You are the holy, glorious, fiery one. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, we dare 
to take you at your word, that you might come afresh by your Holy Spirit and work afresh within our hearts and our lives, that the things that, Lord, we allow to build up that are not of you might be burnt up, might be, we might be set free from, and the things that you have for us by your Holy Spirit this morning might be released to us, we pray, for your glory's sake. Amen. It really is uh, a joy to be here this morning. I was just saying to Juliet while we were sitting here before the service, it's got such a good feel here in terms of just um, there's fun, there's laughter, there's community, uh, and as well as just real quality of ministry going on in terms of what's reported in the notices, what's happening this morning. Don't take these things for granted, friends. You can go to really bad churches every Sunday all around here, and you're in a good one. So celebrate it, invest in it, contribute to it, pray for your leaders, really be thankful for what God's doing here. And the other thing to say is Jonathan got within one year of his marriage, um, how long he's been married, just to let you know that. You can check which year it was with Juliet. (laughs) So we're going to look at John the Baptist this morning, and... We're going to look at him as an example of what we have been called to. That just as he was called not to point to himself, but to point to Jesus, so that can be a really helpful picture of what we're called to be as the church, as we don't just call people to look at us, but we engage with people in order that we might point them uh, to Jesus Christ. So I want us to uh, begin just to engage with what John had to do, and his ministry was one of being the last of the Old Testament prophets to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. And that's such a helpful understanding um, that, uh, that Luke gives us, as a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Obviously, that's a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, and John is the prophet that is coming to do that for Jesus' arrival. But what's helpful for us in that is that just as John was not the fulfillment completely, but he was preparing the way, so that also helps us to understand a little bit of what our role as witnesses, the role of evangelism as as the church is given that calling, is that By our actions, we create an openness in other people who are then ready to receive Jesus, ready to respond to him in a way that they would not otherwise have been. And so whilst we are pointing to Jesus, there is a sense of responsibility in this. And John understood that. He understood his calling that this was to be the shape of his ministry, that he was to go and act in a particular way in order to prepare the way for the Messiah who was to come, Jesus Christ. And so for us in our calling to make disciples, to be witnesses, there is a responsibility in that for us to go and act in particular ways that through our actions, whilst they don't save anyone in themselves, they create an openness in others that God is already at work in and in his sovereignty is preparing 
that through our actions they're then opened up to receive Jesus Christ in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be. That's the connecting point for us with John. So we, like John, are to prepare the way. And John, as it were, is is like a sign, a sign that is pointing, a sign that is visible, a sign that is there in order to get people's attention that otherwise might not be aware that God is at work, God is present, God is doing something in their midst. And we, the church, are to be that sign. But just like John, who it took courage and hope to act in such an incredible way that he would, he would go out into the wilderness. Uh, we know from the other gospel writers that he ate locusts and honey, that he was a Nazarite, that he just wore um, uh, camel hair, and he was this distinctive sign, and he went around proclaiming as a voice in the wilderness. So we in our land are to be this sign. And that phrase, a voice in the wilderness, really gripped me as I prepared for this morning. We are in a spiritual wilderness. As the days seem to get darker, as the world and our culture seems to go further from an understanding of Jesus Christ and his ways, I have a deeper and deeper conviction that we have a responsibility, that living in this wilderness, we are the ones who know Jesus, who know how glorious he is, who know what he has achieved for us, who know his identity and his rule and reign over all things, and yet we have a problem. We're called to be this sign, and yet the people around us who are increasingly desperate, who are increasingly saying, whether explicitly or or just subconsciously, it's not working anymore, they're not at the same time saying, would you please tell me about Jesus? They're not at the same time knowing that there is a God to reach out to. And so in their, in their ache of their soul, we have to be the one that actually pre- presents that sign of hope to them, that God is present, that he is doing something in their midst, and that they can come to know Jesus Christ. So let's look at the qualities of what John did in being that sign. And before we get into that, a little bit of light relief. The church doesn't always get its signage right. So a couple of things on the screen. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) Do you know what hell is? Come and hear our preacher. It's not me this morning. Next slide, please. Best sausage supper in St. Louis. Come and eat our pastor, Thomas Resler. Uh, Remember in prayer the the many who are sick of our church and community. (laughs) And the next one I really apologize for. This was um, sent to me by Greg Downs, um, who you may know. He's he's a minister in, in, in this country. He saw this on the wall of a church that he visited. It's meant to say, Arise. Um, he, he shared this in a church. He got deathly silence, no laugh at all. So I'm very grateful for the laughs. We'll go on to the next slide immediately, though. So, so we have a challenge that we have to be that sign, but it's in a culture that we're aware isn't asking us to be that sign, and it's in a culture 
that we're aware isn't necessarily going to welcome it. We, we know that in our day-to-day -day lives, spiritual things don't naturally come up in conversation. People aren't asking uh, spiritual questions explicitly, even though we know they're created for that relationship with God. And so how can we be that sign? Well, the first thing that uh, John got right was that he was visible. He knew that he had to be somebody who was connecting with the people around him. And he doesn't just go and stand in the middle of the wilderness. Luke records that he goes out into the whole of that region. And he travels around speaking to them with the message that God gives him. He connects. He's visible. And the question for us is, what would it mean for us to live visibly as followers of Jesus Christ in our culture? The really good news is, is you don't have to wear camel hair or change your diet or say terrible things like you brood of vipers and things like that to those around you. But if we're to be the signs and the witnesses Jesus calls us to be in the wilderness, we have to be visible. What does that look like? I think, for me, my understanding of that is that we have to live lives that are connected with people outside of our church community. That we have to allow the truth of what Jesus has, has done in our lives to be visible to people, and that requires us to get close to them. They have to see something in us. They have to know something of what our lives is. They have to hear us speak about that. We know that we've been releasing a, a sound, a voice this morning of God's praises, but nobody has heard it outside of these walls. We need to live connected with other people. Jesus said around the Last Supper, he said to his friends that by this people will know that you're my disciples by the way in which you love one another. You, you love one another here. There's a really good feel here. But nobody's seeing it unless you're living in close relationship with other people. Integrated, authentic lives in front of other people. And so we have to learn to live in a connected way. Not hiding away, but engaged with the world around us. I wonder how you're doing with that. As Jonathan said, I, I took this new role and we had to then find a house for the first time in 30 years of marriage. Um, we had to buy our own home. And so we moved into this village in Buckinghamshire, and we really felt God lead us there. And we then began to pray, Lord, connect us with people. Because we're here for a purpose, and we pray every day, Lord, may our presence in Bledlow, this village of a thousand people, result in people coming to know Jesus Christ. Through us being here, may there be an opportunity for others to hear the good news of Jesus. So we pray that, and then the, re the result of us knowing our call is that, like John, we live intentionally trying to connect with people. So I would walk my dog, I'd be praying for the village as I walk the dog, and then I'm just looking for people to meet as I'm walking around the village. And I remember one day, I could see this woman on the other side of the field as I was walking the dog, and I realized if I ran, I could meet her at the gate behind the hedge that I was going down. So I said to my dog, who's now old, who's 13, run, Monty. So we're legging it down behind this hedge. We get to the hedge, we turn around the corner, and I say, and there she is, oh, hi, what a surprise to see you. 
And she said, oh, nice to meet you. I said, I'm John. I moved into the village a couple of months ago. She said, oh, it's really nice to meet you. I'm Tracy. I'm on the pub with my partner, Mark. Uh, so nice to see you. What's your situation? I said, I'm married to Bridget. She says, does Bridget like craft? Well, my wife is as uncrafty as you get. But because we want connection, I said, my wife loves craft. <laughs> So um, I then go home from the walk, because Tracy says she's going to drop around an invitation to a craft group. And I say to Bridget, darling, you're going to craft. <laughs> so the invitation comes. Bridget goes to craft. We discover that this is the benign mafia of the village. <laughs> this is where everything's sorted out. And when she builds a relationship with this group, we spent the last two New Year's Eve's to one o'clock in the morning with this group of people in the pub. And we've developed deep friendships. And the result is, is that when a local um, guy, uh, when, when a, a, a Christian um, comedian and magician called Steve Legg came to a local church, we said to our friends, would you like to come? 20 of them came and heard the gospel. Why? All because I lived intentionally, saw somebody on the other side of a, fen of a field and legged it so that I could get close to her with the hope that somehow our connection might allow Jesus Christ to cross into her life. We've prayed with, with Tracy. We've had deep conversations after that S Steve Legg event with people. And God is using our connectedness to touch their lives. So that's the first thing, visibility. Signs are visible. The second one is that signs communicate. Clearly, hopefully, unlike this one. It takes, it takes a little moment, doesn't it? Yeah. And then there's another light, yeah. <laughs> John comes with a really clear message. A clear message of repentance, a call to repentance, a, call, a clear message of you can't be hypocrites anymore. You can't just come here for an experience with me. You need to produce the fruit in accordance with repentance. You can't just count on Abraham being your father. You have to make a personal response to what God is doing. He comes with a really clear message. He communicates. And friends, this is where the courage is needed because we cannot be visible and we cannot communicate as, as signs just by being lovely. We can be lovely. I hope you are lovely. Um, but that isn't enough. We have to speak of Jesus Christ. But we have to do it in a way that works. As I said, that message, just reproducing it in no way becomes something that connects into our culture. So I want to give you just a couple of things. And the reason why we wrote Mission Shape Living is because we realized at Holy Trinity that we were really being active. We were doing missional communities, doing lots of outreach ministries as you are, and we found that almost nobody was speaking about Jesus in those places to people outside the church. 
I dare to ask the people at Holy Trinity, the leaders of all of our missional communities, how many of you have spoken about Jesus in the last year? And I gave them a broad range of what that might look like in terms of whether it was um, offering to pray with somebody, telling a testimony, explaining the gospel, responding to an issue in a Christian way, as broad as we could be. Less than 20% of them had. And I went home and wept. And I wept for two reasons. One is that I realized that these were our best Christians. If they weren't doing it, nobody was doing it. And secondly, it was my responsibility that I'd failed to equip them. So that's where Mission Shaped Living came from. After we'd gone through something of what we'd done over a number of years, it took us to get there in doing it ourselves, living it out, taking our leaders through it, and then training through the groups into the whole church. On eight consecutive Sundays, somebody got up and gave a testimony of leading somebody to Jesus Christ personally. Totally transformed. And those leaders who only 20% of them had shared, every one of them had shared the next time that we asked them. It wasn't that they couldn't, it's just that they didn't know how and they didn't think it would work. And so that's what God began to teach us. What would it look like to communicate Jesus in our culture? Three things that I think really are helpful. First one is that invitation. Who could you invite? And what, and what might you invite to? What's the right next step? If it, is it the Wellbeing Cafe? Is it the Warm Monday Mornings? Is it the Tiddlywinks Praise? Is it Alpha? But just an invitation is a really positive way of saying to people, you matter to me, would you like to come and experience this? I think it'd be great for you. And one of the things about invitations is that we say, is, don't say people's no's for them, because you go, oh, I could invite them. Oh, no, they'll never come. We'd say it for them. Just let them say no. And do you know what I discovered is that when people say no, we think by inviting them, we're risking our friendship. Oh, my goodness, have I invited them to a church thing? This could be the end of our friendship. Actually, when they say no, if they have to, they're the ones who get worried because they're going, normally, somebody invites me to supper, to the cinema, to a trip. It's because they think that this will be good for me. So when this friend of mine invites me to church, they think, oh, they think this is good for me. And now I'm risking our friendship by saying no, because I'm somehow rejecting their invitation. We don't have to worry, friends. Just invite. All they say is no, and then we carry on. Second one is to pray for people. In our culture, people don't want to be preached at as if we want to impose something on them, but they are spiritually open. There are spiritually open people everywhere, but you don't know until you ask, how are you? And when they tell you how they are, if there's a need, why don't we offer to pray for them? That's a loving, caring response that recognizes their need. We know that it takes courage because it feels weird, but again, it's a, it's a question, and they can say no to it. They rarely do, in my experience, and I've never had a bad experience of somebody that I've prayed with. I only want to talk about recent stories because I want to live this out. And so just before Christmas, a builder was doing some work in our house. He came in one day with a, with a plaster cast on his foot. I asked him, Gary, what's the matter? And he said, well, I've got 
uh, a broken bone in my toe that just won't heal because I've got diabetes, it's brittle bone, and it's all distorted, and then I put it in a cast to see if it might heal and straighten. I said, could I pray for you? Now, this is a very unreligious, sort of salt-of-the-earth builder kind of guy, and he said yes. So in my garage, I prayed for him. I felt like nothing had happened. Then after Christmas, I discovered he doesn't come back to work. I ask his brother, where's Gary? He's in, in a hospital with his foot. He's got sepsis. I'm thinking, oh, no, that's a bad fail, isn't it? <laughs> He's, and I said, oh, I, that's, that's so bad. I said, because I'm, I prayed for his foot before uh, Christmas. He said, oh, no, that foot got really better. Um, uh, he said, uh, he showed me the pictures. He said, it's amazing how much better that is. He showed me a picture of how completely different shape it is than it was before. And then I'm thinking, but Gary hasn't responded to Jesus. He hasn't come back and told me about that. So I sent Gary a, t a WhatsApp message. I, he's in hospital saying, I really believe it was God who healed your other foot. I really encourage you to pray and to Ask God to heal you from your sepsis. I'll be praying for you. He loves you. I'd love you to pray for yourself because you really can know him. I didn't get a reply. So I'm telling you just how I'm living. There's no guarantees of results, but there's no break of relationship either. This is just a normal way of responding. Third, so invite, pray for, and third one is testimony. Just simply telling the stories, little stories, of the difference God made, something that might happen on a Sunday in church, something where God is with you in a difficult time, or maybe your story of coming to faith. Again, in my building work, um, I had to get some laborers in for a piece of the work that uh, the, the builders weren't going to do. I prayed heavily over uh, the, uh, the people who I was going to recruit, asking that God would send somebody to my house who I could witness to, because we want to be a sign. And I chose these two people off a, off a website called grafter.com. It's a great website if you ever need any grafters. And, uh, and they turn up. And it's Julian and Kieran, his son. I then just initiate a conversation about faith. Julian goes to his car, comes back with his full immersion baptism pictures. He says, wherever I go, I take these because I want to tell people how I came to know Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I then say to Kieran, I said, Kieran, do you believe in Jesus? He says, oh, I'm not quite so sure. I said, well, do you know, when I was your age, and I told him my testimony, it's just really normal. It's just in the midst of life, we can speak of Jesus. So signs are visible, signs communicate, and finally, signs lead to a response. People respond to signs. Again, just look at the sign just for a moment, just for a little bit of, see, see the language of the first word, second word. Please Satanize your hands here. Oh. <laughs> so, last one. People respond to signs. We expect a response. I imagine John. He's gone out into the countryside. He's done what he's doing. He's not quite sure what God is going to do. But what he does makes an incredible response so that people begin to say, are you the Messiah? 
And then you see his message change where he then begins to say, oh, we're on to the next part of the process. And he can say, no, the one who's greater than me is coming. The one who I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. The one who's going to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. He's coming. That's why I'm here. People are ready to meet him. He's seeing the movement take place in people. And friends, as we live out our lives as Christians... The test for us, and this is a challenging test, is are you seeing people around you beginning to move closer to Jesus? There there needs to be a response. We're not in control of that, but if we're living this way, we will see that in some way. And that's where prayer comes in. We don't do this in our own strength. The promise of this passage is that the Holy Spirit will fill us, will empower us, will fire us. And I find that the key is that as we go on this journey, we are deep in prayer, not just for ourselves, but we pray for God to guide us, but also for those who don't yet know Jesus. All those names um, of people that I've met in Bledlow, I've got them on a piece of paper. It's entitled The Village People. I just love that title. Um, And they're all written there. Their dog's names are written there as well. I lay my hand on that page on a regular basis and I say, Jesus, would you save these people? Would you move in their lives? Would you touch them today? Would you open them to you? We've seen a couple of people come to know Jesus in our village since we've been there. We have plans to run Alpha in our home later this year. We've planted a little church community We see signs of people coming closer to Jesus. That's what the fruit of our lives as signs must be. So I want us to finish by praying. On the next slide, it just gives us a simple prayer um, process that a friend of mine, um, Michael Harvey, has developed. Little acorns. It's just a seed. This is all we're doing. But the prayer is... Ask, first of all, God what he's calling you to do. Is there anyone who he's calling you to connect with outside the church? Secondly, listen for that call. Does he give you a name? Does he remind you of somebody? Does he lead you to uh, meet with somebody and you realize, oh, that's the answer to my prayer? We listen for his call. Third one is we obey. The thing about John is that he came to the point where he could point to Jesus and say, that's the Messiah, that's the Lamb who takes away the sin to the world. The joy that would have been in him as a result of his obedience, the process of obedience was difficult, but the joy must have been inexplicable. For us, so often as Christians, we need to remember the joy comes after the obedience. But we'll never know the joy of seeing God use us to reach somebody and to play our part in somebody responding to Jesus unless we obey. We step out. We do our best guess of what we think God might be wanting us to do. Then we review it. We, we reflect on what God's done. And then we look at now what? We notice what God's been doing and we work out what to do next. And it's just this little rhythm of life that just allows us to be living as signs day by day. So we're going to pray generally now just to ask the Lord if he would give you one person who 
he might be calling you at this time to connect with who's outside of the church family. So let's just be quiet together. Lord, I thank you that just like John discovered, you are at work in people in so many ways that we never know. And all you're asking of us is our availability to your call. So we ask now, Holy Spirit, would you lead us to think of someone outside the church family who we could connect with in a fresh way? Who we could live in that visible way? Would lead us to just one person who we could make a response to this morning's message with. It doesn't have to be a big spiritual experience. It can just be you think of a name and you think, yep, that could be the person. And then we ask, Lord, that you would help us to know what to do, what you're calling us to do. What's the right next step in the process with them? Lead us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So in church, you're not really meant to get your phones out, but I'd love you to get your phones out if you've got a phone with you. Uh, just, just play along with me. I promise you I won't make you do anything nasty at all with your phone. But if you have the number of the person who God just dropped into your mind... I would love you to send them a message now. This is obedience, friends, okay? This is the moment where you could invite them to Alpha. You could just say, I'd love to have a coffee. I was thinking of you. Or you could say, I was thinking of you this morning while I was in church, and I just wondered if there is anything I could pray for you. You decide the level. So it's, oh, I'd love to catch up just for coffee, really low-key. Slightly higher spiritual content. Is there anything I could pray for you? Last point, would you like to come to Alpha? And this is obedience, friends. You don't have to do it right now. As I said, I'm, you're not being obedient to me. It's, it's what the Lord calls you to do. But I'm wanting to, you to understand that too much of our Christianity has been you hear a sermon and do nothing with it. It's okay, I know that, I've lived it for 30 years, it's fine. But this is discipleship, friends. The example of John was that he acted and he stepped out and God used him to prepare for Jesus. So shall we stand together as a final prayer? John's words were that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. None of this is something we're doing in our own strength. So just in response to that example of John, let us ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we just acknowledge our need of you, our fears, our sense of feeling inadequate at times. 
not knowing what to do, failures, things where we have stepped back in fear. Lord, all of these are true for all of us. We thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you that there's no condemnation, there's no pressure, but there is power. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Fill us afresh, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, more of you. Set a fire in our hearts, Lord. Put your compassion for the lost around us in our hearts. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know what you're calling us to do and to see those around us with your eyes, not just our own. Come, Holy Spirit, that you may empower us to live as those signs, those witnesses for Jesus Christ. So let's just wait on the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I've often um, found it helpful to have someone pray for me, and I need that for courage just with my own friends and neighbours beyond the church. Uh, and if you'd like someone just to lay a hand on your shoulder and pray, Lord, fill this person with your spirit and give them courage to speak for you, to live for you, um, just come forward now and we're just going to pray a very simple prayer. Perhaps the band will just pray the tune of what we're going to sing next. We won't start singing yet, but if you'd like that... Come and pray. There's no pressure. We're praying generally. I've always found it helpful. And from time to time on Sundays, we just invite people to come forward and come and gather around the desk. If you'd like someone to just, the Prime Minister team, if you'd start to come as people start to come forward, and we'll just lay a hand on folks and pray this very simply and gently. Uh, if you'd like that, do. In the balcony, you're welcome to come down. There's no pressure. Um, so if you like that, just band, just start playing the tune. Um, we'll sing. We're going to sing about Jesus, our living hope, in just a minute. But first, I just want to give a chance for anyone who would like prayer for this. Um, no prayer. We're all praying. Um, and just very simple, lay a hand on shoulder, team. Just for a simple, come Holy Spirit, and fill this person and give them courage to point to you. And we pray, Lord, all around the church, whether folks choose to come forward or whether we're just receiving where we are, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and with fire, with love for others, with courage to invite or to offer to pray or to share testimony. And we pray as a church that this would mark a, a fresh courage in pointing people to Jesus at the start of this new year. So continue, Holy Spirit, your ministry among us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.